From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. From 1945, get ready to hear an installment from the program, New World A-Comin'. The episode is called The Negro Reporter, starring Canada Lee. It begins right after this break. the sweep and fury of the resurrection, there's a new world to come in. Every Sunday at this hour, WMCA in cooperation with the Citywide Citizens Committee on Harlem, brings you New World A-Coming, a series of vivid programs dramatizing the inner meanings of Negro life by Roy Otley. Today, our stars are Canada Lee in the role of Ted Morgan, a newspaper reporter, Fred O'Neill as his editor, and George F. Harvey as Mrs. Wilson, produced and directed by Mitchell Grayson. You know, folks, wherever and whenever a handful of Negroes gather, they exchange stories, sometimes humorous, some are filled with pathos, and some are even hair-raising. Usually, though, their tales are sardonic and often hinge on some situation involving relations between the races. Today, we want to relate a simple tale about a frightening situation. This is the story of Ted Morgan, a veteran Negro newspaper reporter who gives us a little-known side of the newspaper game as it sometimes affects Negro reporters in their travels about the country. Yeah, I've been a newspaper man for 15 years. Been all over the country meeting all kinds of people. I've known Jim Crow, the polished Jim Crow of the North and the crude Jim Crow of the South. But what happened to me in Decatur, Alabama was perhaps the most humiliating experience of my life. It was the first time I was actually faced with a choice of keeping my self-respect or losing my life. One day, to begin the story at the beginning, the the editor of my paper called me into his office and said, uh, Hey, boy, boy, A white man was murdered in Decatur, Alabama. A Negro boy is being accused. You know what that means. Yeah. Now, uh, I'd like you to go down there and cover that trial. Hey, that's a pretty tough assignment, Chief. Yeah, I know. It won't be easy. But you've got to get into that courtroom and see what goes. Negroes all over the country are stirred up about this case. They want to know the truth. Now, I expect you'll have some trouble getting into the courtroom. You mean it? Well, the whole town down there is in an uproar. And they're death on Negro reporters. Will you try it? You know what it means? Yeah, yeah, I know. See, I'd like to take a crack at it. Good. But remember, we've got to have a story. Oak. All right. Now get your fare up in the office, pack your bags, and shove off fast. Good luck to you. Peace, senior. <laughs> 
I got off the train in Decatur, walked through the station, and stopped at a newsstand to buy a local paper. A bold headline struck my eye. Accused Negro to testify tomorrow. Men stood around the newsstand talking. The story seemed to be on the lips of everyone. You think that Negro is guilty? Well, if the Negro ain't, looks mighty bad for him. Fellows around Mike's tavern saying that ain't going to let them get away with this. If he gets off in court, his life still ain't worth a dime. The whole town seemed to be seething with excitement about the trial. When I headed for the Negro part of town, the first thing I did was to look up the address of a place where I could stay. It was at the home of one of the boys on the paper. Mrs. Wilson, the landlady, was a kindly old woman who'd lived in Decatur all her life. First thing she said was... Oh, Mr. Morgan, Mr. Morgan, I'm so glad you're here, Mr. Morgan. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Wilson. Oh, we need somebody down here to who can really tell the truth about this case. Jim Wallace is a stranger in town, but I'm sure he's not guilty. He seems like such a nice boy. Look, what's the real story, Mrs. Wilson? As much of it as you know. Well, I'll tell you, Mr. Morgan. Every time something happens to a white man, they blame it on some Negro. That poor boy's done nothing to do with his murder. Miss Wilson, do you know the boy personally? No. Do you know where he comes from? No, Mr. Morgan. I don't know nothing about that either. Do you know any of the facts? We need facts. Well, no. But I'd lay my head on a Bible that the boy had nothing to do with it. Well, then I'll, I'll just have to get into that courtroom. Oh, Mr. Morgan, you can't do that. Go in that courtroom? No, no, no. Why, they done run all them Negro reporters out of town that was here. You're taking an awful chance. Yeah, but I can't be worried about that now, Mrs. Wilson. You know white folks down here. They don't like none of... Hey, Miss Wilson, look. Uh, say, if I asked you to do something for me, something that was secret, something you mustn't talk about to anyone in town, would you do it for me? Uh, would I be getting into any trouble? Not if you did exactly as I told you. Well, what's that? Well, you see, it's clear that I'll never get in as a reporter. Here. Here's $10. I want you to go into town tonight... And get me. Mr. Morgan, uh, Mr. Morgan, here they are. Just like you told me. All them things that you wanted me to get. And three dollars change. Hey, that's fine. Just like you said. I got you an old raggedy coat, mm-hmm. a pair of worn-out overalls, and a real greasy cap. I got that cap from Miss Burley. She lives down a piece. Uh, her boy just went in the army. Mrs. Wilson, you're terrific. I couldn't have done better myself. Now, uh, Mr. Morgan, would you mind telling me what you wanted all them things for? Sure. Sure. Here, look. Look at this card. Now, well, what would that be? Read it. The Reverend T. Park Williams, duly ordained minister of the gospel from Mobile, Alabama. Well, I declare. <laughs> you see, if anyone asks me who I am at the courtroom, that's my name and occupation while I'm in this town. A preacher mm-hmm. from Mobile. I took precaution about that on my way here. I had these credentials loaned to me by a minister who's interested in the case. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Morgan, a reporter sure got to think everything, don't he? <laughs> <laughs> That night, I decided to get the feel of the town. I, I knew that Negroes believed in the innocence of the accused boy. I wanted to find out how the white people felt. For on that, hinged his fate. I dressed in the clothes of my newly assumed role and went out for a walk. 
across the railroad tracks into the white side of Decatur. I remember when I first got off the train that uh, someone had mentioned a, a, a Mike's Tavern. I decided that this was the place to dig up some information. Approaching the tavern, I saw a group of men idling out in front. Some wore overalls with their shirts open at the neck. They looked like the rough element of the town. Two or three of the men were well-dressed. When they looked in my direction, I feigned drunkenness. Then I flopped down on the curbstone nearby. This seemed the safest way to get near enough to hear what they were saying. <laughs> Look at that Negro. Drunk and higher in the car. Can't hold his liquor. Let him lay there. <laughs> Can't hold his liquor. No, he can't. <laughs> Tom? Huh? Hey, Tom. Looks like you've got a tough case tomorrow. Nah, I'll get him. Well, I don't know about that, Judge. He's new in Decatur. He won't go against us. Remember, a white man was murdered. Tom, how are we going to put them Negroes in that place? You're a lawyer. How would you do it legally? Well, the worst thing is that, that them Negroes learn to read and write. That's the root of the whole question. What do you mean that, Tom? Well, just this. There's too many people talking about them having rights. So now they're harder to deal with. Well, ain't there some way you educated fellas can fix it up? Why, sure. <laughs> if we knock out the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. Uh, them fellas up north will kick up a fuss about that. Well, I say there's only two ways of dealing with Negroes. One is the Hitler method. Exterminate them. The other way is to keep them illiterate. If they are kept from getting hold of books, they won't know so such things about the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the New Testament, or all that stuff about freedom and justice and equality. Now, look at that drunk on the curb out there. <laughs> That's all they're fit for. Freedom and equality for that? <laughs> Come on, boys, I'll buy you a drink. A reporter is generally a pretty hardballed guy. And I thought I had pretty tough skin, but when I heard the way those men talked, I broke out into a cold sweat. And I knew that there was plenty more work to be done in our democracy. This incident doubled my determination to expose the viciousness in Decatur. After all, a boy's life was at stake. I found it hard to sleep that night, so it was no trouble for me to be at the court bright and early the next morning. What did you say? I took a seat in the back row among some of the Negro townspeople. My identity so far had not been questioned. The room was small, hot, and stuffy, and buzzed with conversation. Jim Wallace, the accused, was a small, frightened boy of 17. He sat in the corner, gripping the edge of his chair, listening intently. The prosecutor turned out to be Tom Curry, the same Tom who had talked about Negroes in front of Mike's tavern. His red neck bulged as he cross-examined a Negro girl. And you say you were with the accused on the night Jim Trellis was murdered? Yes. Now, Mary, what were you doing with him? He was at my house, and my mother and father was with us. Mm-hmm. And what was he doing at your house? He only came to pay us a visit, sir. Then how'd you come to be in the lot where the body was found? We were out walking, and we were taking a shortcut to get home. Sure that was all? 
Yes, sir. Well, why did the two of you start running when you saw the policeman? We was afraid. Afraid of what? Well, sir, there was this dead body, and we didn't want to get mixed up in nothing. That's a lie, Mary. Didn't Jim Trella stop to talk to you? And didn't the accused take out a knife and stab him? No, sir, no such thing. Jim didn't have no knife. Jim didn't kill nobody. I was with him all the time. Jim wouldn't hurt nobody. Nobody asked you for them remarks. You just answer questions. Yes, sir, but he didn't do it. I swear he didn't. I was with him. I was with him. And so it went all day long. Witness after witness was called up on the stand and grilled. The prosecutor, Tom Curry, seemed determined to railroad this boy. Prejudice hung like a pile over the courtroom. It seemed to me that only an aroused public opinion in the North could stop this legal lynching. So that evening, I returned to the place where I was staying and pounded out the story of what had taken place that day. When I was finished, I started toward the door with the envelope in my hand when Mrs. Wilson called out. Oh, Mr. Morin, Mr. Morin! Where are you going with that letter? To the post office to mail my story. Why? To the post office? Yeah, uh-huh. Son, that's a foolish thing to do. Mighty foolish. What's wrong? Give me that letter. This is what's wrong. You got New York written on that envelope. Do you know what that means? Good heavens. Now that you put it that way, yeah, I see. Why, them white folks would be asking questions about you in a minute. You'd be in all sorts of trouble after that. Yeah, yeah, I see. I'd be spotted once anywhere in town. You sure would. But then, how the heck am I going to send this thing? Telegram? Lord, no. That would be out, too, for the same reason. Of course, that's foolish. Oh, no, no. Gosh, that puts a new wrinkle on this business. What do you think, Mrs. Wilson? Oh, I don't know. But you can't mail it, that's sure. Listen, maybe my friend can help you. Who's that? Can he be trusted? Who, Bill? Yeah, you can trust him. He's my friend. He works at the post office as a porter. Good. When can I see him? Well, he lives down the way a piece. I'll go out and fetch him and bring him back here right away. Mr. Morgan, don't mail yourself at this post office. Them white folks would get mighty suspicious of anything being sent up north. Yeah, yeah, I know, Bill. Ms. Wilson told me that before. I was counting on the mails, and how am I going to get around this? Well, now, let me see. There's a mail train that comes through here every night, just about three minutes after 12. You go down there, and when the train stops, you just slip your stuff through the slot in the baggage car. It'll get there. Four nights, everything worked out fine. I was sending off my story on schedule. On the morning of the fifth day, as I took my seat in the courtroom as usual, I, I felt a strange undercurrent of tenseness in the crowd. When I looked across the aisle to the side where the white people were seated, my eyes met the searching looks of Tom Curry's barroom friends. At noon, court adjourned. As I stepped into the crowded corridor, I heard Curry's voice. Here, here, take a look at this. Decatur prosecutor seats legal lynching of innocent Negro boys. Where's that paper from? Where'd you think? New York, of course. One of them Negro newspapers in Harlem. How'd it get in there? That's what I want to know. I had all them Negro reporters kicked out before we started this trial. Who do you suppose wrote it? I don't know. But somebody is doing it. Somebody right here in this courtroom. And I'd like to get my hands on that rat. Hey, look what it says here about you, Tom. Oh, don't bother reading it. I know what's in it. That's the kind of stuff that starts race trouble down here in the South. Them kind of stories ain't good for Decatur. No. It scares away new business. That's got to be stopped. Quick. Yeah, that's that's got to be stopped. Yeah, whoever it is, we ought to run them out of town. Anybody got an idea? Yeah. 
Get the boys and come on with me. I'll show you. Mabel, anybody been in here telegramming stories about the murder trial in New York? When, Mr. Kerr? Lately, in the last five days. No, Mr. Kerr, not while I was here. I remember something like that, sir. Why? Did something happen? Never mind that. Come on, boys. Now, Betty. Number? Now, Betty, you sure you ain't had no calls to New York in the last five days? Well, I know, Mr. Curry. I looked through all my records, and there ain't a single thing that says anything about it. Say, Bill, come on over here a minute. Yes, sir. Say, Bill, do you remember seeing anything in the last few days going to New York? A letter addressed to a Negro paper. Uh, What's that, sir? I said a letter to a Negro newspaper in New York. Now, look here, Bill. Think now, Bill. It's important. Now, uh, wait a minute. A letter to New York. Seems to me... How long ago was that, you say? Five days. Five, Five days. days. You'd remember it if you saw it, wouldn't you? Well, if I saw it, I'd remember it. Well, did you see it? I think... I think... Well? No, no, that one went to San Francisco. You ain't no help. Come on, man. <laughs> The hunt for the writer of the articles mounted to a fury. A lynch spirit had been whipped up. The trial paled in importance as the search continued. Everyone said that this newspaper publicity would bring down New York lawyers and civil liberties committees to defend the Negro boy. Tom Curry's voice started terrorizing the Negro neighborhood, but no one gave me away. And then it happened on the seventh night. dropped the dispatch into the train mail slot when I sent someone standing behind me on the darkened railroad platform. I hesitated a minute and then turned around slowly. One glance and I knew this was it. Facing me and slowly closing in in a semicircle were a dozen or more white men of the slate-faced, agate-eyed, traditional cracker type. The viciousness of their character was written all over their faces. No one spoke as the slow-moving circle forced my back against the baggage car. Only the escaping steam from the engine broke the silence of the night. Finally, one sharp-faced man, obviously the leader, stepped directly in front of me. So this is the northern Negro that's been writing them lies of how we treat our Negroes down here. No, you all got me wrong, oh, Shut up, black boy. I'll break your damn head. Yes, boy, See this gun? Yes, sir. Got you now. Get their rights. Oh. Search him, gal. He's probably got some of them lies in his pocket right now. But, but here it is. This is it. He's got this envelope right inside his pocket. Well, who's got a flashlight? Well, yeah, I got one. Here, put some light down here. And you, Axel, keep this pistol stuck in his black belly. All right. Get back there, Negro. Yes, boy. Yes, Captain. Now, we'll uh, read this here letter. Well, what's it say there, Gene? Well, it says here that this Negro is a preacher. Yes, Captain. It says his name's Williams. Wasn't the one we were after named something else? Yeah, but what are we going to do with this one? He's a Negro, ain't he? Yeah. Well, Negro peaches is all right. Oh, let him go. Black boy, you're sure lucky. Yes, sir. Well, on your way, black boy. Yes, sir. 
And in the future, you stay away from mail trains at night. I moved cautiously and slowly, thanking my lucky stars that I'd been accepted as a preacher. When suddenly someone kicked me in the seat of my pants. That kick was probably the thing I remember most about my trip to Decatur, Alabama. For the kid Jim Wallace came off all right in the trial. The cause against him was thin. Lacking the barest evidence, there was nothing for the judge to do but throw the case out of court. Somehow, the kick seemed to me to be symbolic of the South's attitude toward the Negro. This would be pretty discouraging if it wasn't for the fact that today... The solid South is cracking. More and more, there are white people in the South who are raising the banners of democracy in the Negro's behalf. You've been listening to New World A-Coming, starring Canada Lee as Ted Morgan, the Negro reporter. George Ed Harvey as Mrs. Wilson. Frederick O'Neill as the editor, and Hilda Sims as the girl on the witness stand. Others in the cast today were Sanford Bickard as Tom Curry, John Adair as the leader, Seymour Stowe as the clerk, Victor Thorley as Axel, Fred Carter as Cal, and Tom Hoyer. We invite you to be with us again next Sunday at 3 past 3. The radio dramatization of New World of Coming is written by Roy Otley and is based on Ted Poston's true experience, written for the Negro Digest. The program is produced and directed by Mitchell Grayson. Music by James Lazito is conducted by Jerry Sears. Theme song composed by Duke Ellington. Next week, New World of Coming will present the story of the Negro in American history, starring Canada Lee, Muriel Smith, and Georgia Burke. If you'd like to attend one of these broadcasts, simply address your request for tickets to radio station WMCA, 1657 Broadway, New York City, Zone 19. Your announcer, George Willard. This was a public service feature of WMCA. <laughs> Friends, you're being asked to contribute generously to the American Red Cross. Perhaps you know something about the great Red Cross activities in the war. Food parcels to war prisoners, vital help to war wounded, hundreds of clubs, recreation centers, and traveling Red Cross entertainment units. Did you know that the Red Cross performs the work of the utmost importance in the recruiting of nurses? The Red Cross is the official recruiting agency for the Army and the Navy. The Red Cross has trained thousands of volunteers to assist regular nurses in civilian hospitals. Through Red Cross home nursing classes, the pressure on home front medical and hospital facilities has been greatly relieved. Help the Red Cross to carry on its great unselfish work by giving and giving generously. The Red Cross must have $200 million. Make your gift as big as your heart.
This is America's leading independent station. This portion of the show is brought to you by First Trade, the brokerage with zero commissions on stocks, ETFs, options, mutual funds, and fixed income. I've been trading stocks for decades, and I cringe when I think about all the money it costs me in commissions. With First Trade, I keep all my hard-earned gains. There are no strings, no conditions, or limits. It's totally free trading. And First Trade isn't a scaled-down brokerage. It's robust with proprietary trading technology, a highly intuitive user interface, and outstanding customer service. Trades are completed as fast as lightning, and I love their easy-to-use mobile app that allows me to trade on the go. So why not give First Trade a try? You've got nothing to lose but those costly fees and commissions. First Trade, your first choice for free stock trading. Get more information at krobcollection.com. From the K-Rob Collection, this has been Audio Antiques, a program featuring shows from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson, urging you to subscribe to this podcast and to share it with anyone who loves classic broadcasts. Our music is by H-Beats. That's H-Beats with a Z. Thanks so much for listening.